When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. All right, hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bolin. Hey, Ben. Uh, today we've got a topic that uh, that kind of came up in a strange manner. You know, we had that uh, podcast about the uh, Rolls-Royce Phantom. Oh, yes. And um, during that, I don't know, I, had to go, I guess, show prep, I was uh, I was working on uh, some things that I could mention. Now, that show, that, that there was a lot of information in that show. We didn't get to everything as, as typical, right? We never do. Um, but I had a list of, of other phantoms that I thought I would just kind of pepper in there when I, when I had a chance. And uh, topping that list of other phantoms, uh, which I think I'll read now, by the way. I might as well, right? Yeah. Sure. And because uh, let's just get that out of the way. But uh, topping the list was the Phantom Corsair from 1938. Ah, yes. And uh, that's today's topic. And I am so glad we're covering this. Oh, wait, before I start running off at the mouth, uh, do you want to read the rest of the Phantom list? You know what, let's, let's go ahead and just do it so that I'm, I feel like I, it's something I have to complete before, uh, before I can move on. I can't it's throw a, this. Write a passage. I just can't throw this piece of paper away. You should. We gotta and, read it. And I want to wrap up. There's one at the end here that I think may be a good future podcast topic. Another one. So two from this list of Phantoms, by the way. Nice. All right. So, uh, I'm a Phantom Video Games, Phantom of the Opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the Phantom, well, Phantom Fireworks, uh-huh. Phantom Menace, which is the episode one, you know, from Star Wars, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. Uh, Phantom Pain, which you can have if you lose a limb or finger or something like that, toe, right. whatever. Uh, there's a Phantom comic book character. Mm-hmm. The Phantom. Uh, there's Phantom Jets. And uh, let's see, there's Phantom Power, which is a professional audio equipment term, something I really don't exactly know what that is, but Phantom Power. Um, and this is maybe the, the, uh, the, the, the final one that I think is another potential podcast topic, and maybe we can get some listeners to chime in on this and tell us what you think. But there's a, a company out there called Phantom Bikes, and they make bicycles that this guy has retrofitted um, engines to, sort of like the early days of the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are like, you know, the Roadster-style bicycles, uh, you know, the great big wide tires and the big seats and everything with engines in them, and a full drive system, you know, a little small tank at the top. They look very retro. They look like uh, old 
old like school motorcycles. The French pre-war motorcycles. They look just like the early, early motorcycles, like wow. the old, the, the original Indians and that type of bike. Oh, wow. Okay. Similar to that. And uh, there's a company that does nothing but that. And I think that may be a good, you know, future topic for us. Well, I'm sold. Yeah. So, all right. I feel much better. I can throw that piece of paper away now. It's a whole new world, yeah. man. Yeah, but like, like I said, threshold. topping the list was uh, the Phantom Corsair from 1938. And were he alive today, Rust Hines would be thrilled to hear his car getting some of the coverage that we think it deserves. Mm-hmm. Now, when we say Rust Hines, yes, we're talking about the infamous 57 I'm, – we can't call them infamous. We're talking about the very nice people – at the Heinz uh, Company, which is known in the United States for ketchup. Sure, and 57 other things. Yeah, originally I think there were soups, 57 varieties of oh, soup. Okay, gotcha. Now there's a lot more. I'm sure there's more than 57 at this point. Yeah, uh, my dad used to lie to me for fun when I was a kid, and one time he told me that there were 57 varieties of ketchup. Huh? And, and that, um, that I, were I to behave better, could try those varieties, and oh. I never quite made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they tried, like, blue and red. and mm-hmm. or, Sorry, red. Of course they tried red. They tried blue and green and yellow and all kinds of different colors for a while. That didn't uh, Yeah, you remember that uh, purple one? Yeah, that uh, didn't seem eh, not like a very goop. good idea. Yeah. Not a very good idea. So, anyways, this is the this is the heir to the Heinz fortune, right? Yeah, he's not hurting for money, and he uh, is studying naval architecture at Yale. Yeah, he's very young. He's... Uh, he, he, I, geez, at, tw- at age 22 is when he penned the uh, the design for this for this car on a napkin, right? Uh, something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, apparently on a napkin. I'm not a, I'm not entirely sure of that story. Yeah, but, it's yeah, apocryphal. Maybe, but I mean, this guy he was again naval. What naval architecture, architecture. is that right? Yep. That's a that's a strange thing to go into. But specialized. Um, he's studying at Yale. Um, he had his own industrial design studio at the time. So I mean, he's. Clearly on his way, right? I'm sure that a little bit of family money doesn't hurt. Um, but at the time, you know, he had this idea that I'm going to I'm going to design a better automobile, mm-hmm. something that uh, something that's completely radically different, right? So um, he says, I got this idea for a design. Can you guys maybe uh, maybe finance me? Talking to his family, right? And yeah. His family says no. They categorically say no. They not only say no, but they say no way, never, except for one family member. Yeah, that's right. His aunt from Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And uh, his aunt uh, said, you know what, I'll, I'll give you the, you know, I'll float you the cash in order to build a prototype and we'll see where it goes from there. Because the idea for this thing was not a, uh, a mass scale production, but more of a, a slim down or a, a, um, a small scale production vehicle yes. that, you know, would be released in limited numbers because, uh, as we'll, we'll talk about later, but it's rather expensive, as was the prototype. Do you happen to know the prototype? Dollar amount? Uh, I've got it here. F- uh, yeah, I think, uh, I well, the prototype, I know that they set uh, they set the price point to fourteen thousand seven hundred. Yeah, but the prototype cost uh, uh, was somewhere in the neighborhood of they, they estimate around twenty four thousand to you know upwards of that. So not terribly expensive today's standards, obviously. I mean, when you talk about million dollar prototypes or more. You but know, if we adjust for adjusted for, yeah. And I'll, I, you know what, I neglected to do that, but I do have the adjusted dollar amount for the uh, for the the price point for the vehicle later on. We'll talk. Okay. About it. Okay. Um, but again, twenty four thousand. That's an awful lot of money. I'm I'm gonna guess somewhere in the neighborhood of like you know half a million bucks. Yeah, it's ballpark. Quite a bit. Just a ballpark. And um, let's let's also point out that, of course, his his aunt who did help him with the initial capital, uh, she did so over 
the vociferous protest of the family. What's strange about this story is in the beginning, all of his family members seem really set against him doing this. Yeah, which I, I guess, I mean, for an architecture student to say that I want to design an automobile, that's a that's a that's a dramatic twist. It's a switch. I, for sure. I think so. I, I don't I don't feel that it, it I don't think it has the same uh, I don't know it's not the same school of thought really I I don't believe so I mean someone can write in and tell us different but mm-hmm. to me that seems, especially when you're talking about I, I don't know what's naval architecture anyways uh, naval architecture sounds as though I I didn't really dig into this too deep but it sounds as though this could apply to a variety of things entirely guessing here Scott. I would say shipbuilding, ship design. Di- That's what I was parts, thinking. Shipyard, shipyard design. Well, I think it encompasses all of it. Okay. If that's the case, because that's what kind of what I thought too when I read it is mm-hmm. naval naval architecture. That's a strange way to say that he designed ships. Now we could be completely wrong. Yeah, but if that's the case, I completely understand the way that this vehicle is designed when you see the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It to me, and now now it has extremely radical styling for the the mid nineteen thirties, oh, late nineteen yeah. thirties, because that's when this thing came about. Um, to me, this thing not only looks aerodynamic and streamlined, it looks Aquadynamic in a weird way. Yeah, it almost looks like a um, like a skate or a uh, a ray in the way it's designed. I mean, it's a stingray, mm-hmm. very much so in the way that it has louvers on the hood. It has um, a very rounded top, very flat, flat bottom. Yeah, um, we'll get into the uh, the specifics of the vehicle later. You know, like the specs and what the way it looks. Um, mm-hmm. If you haven't already Googled this thing, definitely take a look for it. It's the 1938 Phantom Corsair, and it has a very smooth uninterrupted surface yeah exactly and you know i i mean it's just it's so completely unexpected for that era of design i mean the way that it the way it was laid out the way that you know it was envisioned by him because it 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 so dramatically varies from what's out there on the roads right then and you think about cars that had running uh running boards and right. you know great big fender skirts and Curb uh, finders yeah i mean and relatively upright windshields and mm-hmm. um you know they just weren't aerodynamic at all there were some art deco cars at the time which i'm sure were the the influence for him because this yeah. is a very much an art deco design yes he has one small problem now he's already uh acquired the money he needs he has his design, and he knows what he wants it to be, but he doesn't build cars. Yeah, he's got the exterior idea. Mm-hmm. So in 1936, he meets some very impressive coach uh, builders, Bowman and Schwartz, or that's uh, possibly Schwartz, uh, Bowman and Schwartz, and they uh, are a Duesenberg Group. They're known for their outrageous custom Duesenbergs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started in 1932. Uh, they've done a lot of impressive work. They built um, a Cadillac station wagon in 1949 for the Mexican president at the time. Um, they also built Duesenbergs for stars, for okay, celebrities. So, so they continued on long past the, uh, the Corsair. Yes. Okay. And so they started with a little vehicle called the Cord 810. Okay, yeah, the Cord 810. What a great car. I mean, the Auburn Cord, um, 
clearly a collector's item. A lot of people, uh, you know, these are these are very sought after cars. The the Duesenberg line of vehicles. Um, so it's a good place to start, right? I mean, it's an A10 base, so it had um, a, a big heavy chassis. I yeah. mean, this is a, a 289 V8, a 4.7 liter engine. I think it had the original cord had 125 horsepower, but because of the body work that they were going to add to this thing and the uh, you know just the size of this vehicle, they had to up that to about 190 horsepower just to carry this thing because it weighed around 4,600 pounds, so it was really heavy. I mean, that's like, um, again, back to Rolls-Royce, but that's like the Rolls-Royce limousine weight. Yeah. Very, very heavy. <laughs> Not exactly a Tata Nano. No, no, exactly. <laughs> I mean, a steel frame. Mm-hmm. Um, the crazy thing about this is, you know, of course, it's front engine because there's a ton of room up front, you'll see. Right. Um, but it was a front-wheel drive car. Yeah, that kind of, that kind of caught me too. Well, I think the Duesenberg was too at the time. That uh, mm-hmm. you know the base vehicle was, so there was no change in that. Mm-hmm. That was uh, that that was something that they just left in place, which made sense. I mean, you know, as far as money goes. Um, but it did have it had aluminum body panels, Ben. This is really strange with a with a steel tube frame underneath. Um, now, it, <laughs> this move this car has made an appearance in a movie. Now, this is are we we're talking the Corsair at this point. Yeah, the Corsair. Not now, the that, Ford 10, now, the now, the, now this this car, this this Corsair, has made a, a uh, an appearance in a movie. And what was the movie called? Young, uh, Young at Heart. Young at Heart. Okay. Now I've caught clips of this online, but mm-hmm. never the full thing. And when they do open the hood of this vehicle, they, I mean, the, the vehicle's on a set. <laughs> right. They open the hood of it, and you can see the uh, you can see you know the the steel tube frame just underneath the the hood of this thing. It's a, it's a really kind of a, a triangle shaped hood as it opens. Yeah. Um, kind of a funny movie from what I can tell. I mean, yeah, they call the car the flying wombat. The flying yeah, the flying it, wombat in so, the in the movie. Yeah, that's you, the character name. If you, if you search, uh, um, you know the. YouTube for or, or um, yeah YouTube for mm-hmm. for the flying wombat. Uh, you'll find about a five minute clip of this thing, and it's it's done in kind of a corny way. The driving scenes are sped up and and kind of yeah with hay wagons pulling out of the way real quick, and and they, they have that thing where it's obviously a screen in, yeah that's supposed to be the road. Well, that was probably uh, you know. Cutting edge. That was cutting edge at the time, I'm sure. But uh, you know, interesting, interesting to show this car, and they show it in a dealership where they show many, many of these things lined up in a row. I think that's a little bit of Hollywood magic because this car is a one of a kind. This, yes, it never went beyond this, and we'll tell you why, you know, at the end here. But mm-hmm. um, never got beyond, you know, the prototype stage. So this is just this is the the Phantom Corsair that we're talking about, and and you can go see it today. Even. Yeah, this is the only one. And here's the thing, man. It's so we've spent so much time talking about the exterior and how it really does. I love your comparison oh, to a Ray. Before we move on, can yes. I please tell you something about the exterior, though. Lay it the on exterior me. now. Super aerodynamic, right? Right. I've looked at this thing over and over and over again. I mean, we, you know, when we're prepping for this, we stare at, you know, the the, the subject <laughs> yeah, for a long true. time, right? Yeah. I can get, I completely get the Art Deco thing in this vehicle specifically because I see the I see the lines that they're talking about in the the bumpers of it. The bumpers mm-hmm. are really cool, by the way. The um, the louvered hood, the the, I mean, just expansive hood in front of the thing, the way it's shaped at the back. Tiny windows. Tiny windows. It's got a separated um, uh, front and rear. It's it's bisected. It's cut right in half. Uh, really cool. So it's a split window rear end, a split window front windshield, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of common at the time uh, yeah. because of the flat glass thing. Right. Um had uh, I think it had safety glass, like a triple triple plane triple pane safety glass all the way around. Yes. Um Crazy thing that it did have another really strange thing is that um, it had electric push button entry. 
which I thought was really, really unique for the time. Yes. So this thing had a lot of unique features to it, including, um, well, no running boards we mentioned, but it was fully skirted. All four wheels were completely covered all the way right down to the ground, which was, again, unique. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. not out of the ordinary to have two wheels covered, you know, the back end maybe. Right. But all four wheels uh, for aerodynamic purposes, and I think it had an underbelly pan, a flat underbelly pan. Uh, so this thing really, I don't know, it, it it cuts an impressive figure when you look at it. Yeah, and it's uh, very low slung, only 57 inches high, I Yeah, think. yeah, but almost 20 feet in length. <laughs> so so you can imagine the proportions of this thing. You said it's uh, it's 57 inches tall, right? Right. 20 feet in length and wide. It was really a wide car. Yes, 76 um, uh, a little over 76 which, inches. Which gets us to the interior. And you were going to tell us about the interior of this thing because um, it's got some unique interior characteristics as well. Oh, man. Really yeah. strange. Okay, so let's let's first start with the seating arrangement. Ah, you know yes. about this, right? Yes, I do. This is bizarre. <laughs> okay, so, so um, the total seats uh, in the Corsair, that's six seats, um, two are in the back. And they're by far the the cheap seats. Yeah, like they're the crappy seats. Yeah, well, those are kids' seats, right? Those yeah, are, they're actually kids' seats. They're Good for call. children. That's the strange thing. It was such it, the design is sloped in such a way and cramped and, and pinched in the backs mm-hmm. in such a manner that uh, only children can sit in the back. It's that small because uh, the rest of the back is taken up by so, like beverage compartments. Okay, but you say it seats six. There we go. So that means four in the front. Yes, yes, four in the front, and the driver's not all the way on the end. That's how wide this car yeah, is. This is this is the most strange part about the seating, I think. Okay, it's four plus two seating, so it's four in the front, two in the rear. Uh-huh. You said the driver is not all the way to the left, it, but it is a left-hand drive car. It is a left-hand drive car. The car is just so wide that the seat next to the left door is another passenger. So if you're driving this vehicle, you have two passengers sitting on your right and one sitting on your left. That is so strange. So they, they said that the bench seat in this thing is more than five feet across. Yeah. Just the seat itself. That doesn't, that's not counting, you know, like shoulder room and, you know, all the rest of that stuff. That's just the bench seat itself. It's more than five feet wide. So incredible amount of space inside the front of this thing. That's a, that's that's a really weird seating configuration. Isn't and in it? the and in the movie, that's not really shown that way. No, it's no. it's shown a different way. They have a they have a dummied up dash, obviously, in this yeah. thing. It's the movie dash is not the dash of the vehicle. If you look at you know, you search it online, look at, you know, one of its um museum appearances or concourse appearances, and you'll see that the dash is really unique as well. It's got some strange instrumentation. Yeah, we should mention that the flying wombat you'll see in the film, uh, while the exterior is the Corsair, the interior is not at all. But uh, there's some amazing technology here, especially for the time. The uh, the electric push buttons yeah. that, that uh, we've we've mentioned here, mm-hmm. um, that didn't really happen. Uh, also, it had some instrumentation. Now, this stuff came from the cord. Um, the original instrumentation came with the core, but it also had an altimeter and a compass and uh, an altimeter. <laughs> this cracks me up every time. It? It's just a neat thing to put in there. I mean, I did you see the position of that? It's right in the center. Yeah, and it's like why? Why? It's a cool looking gauge. Sure. I mean, I've seen a close up of the gauge itself. Yeah, very cool looking. But uh, but as far as purpose, uh, nothing really. Right. If no. you are ever in a situation where you need that. 
um, maybe it's time to evaluate your life decisions. But, you know, the Art Deco trend of the time and with the um, airplane characteristics that they were throwing onto yeah, cars and, and trains and everything else, um, even furniture or whatever, um, an altimeter makes perfect sense. And this is one guy's dream car, too. There's not like – there's this is, this car was built to such different specifications. There's no um, – I'm sorry, I'm getting getting off on a tangent here, but there's no – Market research on Russ Hines's end. You no, know, no, he's not interviewing thirteen thousand housewives and saying, "What do you like in a car?" No, he just thought it would be cool to have an altimeter. This is that's what happened. What could I possibly do with this vehicle? If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously, it's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at The Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from RYOBI. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the Ryobi leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Yeah, and then he also had some really clever stuff where um, there there are alerts that will let the driver know if the door's open, um, the radio or the lights are on. I tell you, Ben, for 1930, that's extremely advanced. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's just another, you know, aspect of this thing that that shows that this guy he was, he was really way ahead of his time in designing this thing. Yeah. And uh, okay, well, I guess well we're kind of the point now where we should just mention what happened because, um, you know, we we've I guess uh, told you about all the great attributes of it or most of the great attributes of, of, of this car. Yes. Um, this, there's more and more and more to this. I mean, the history of the car is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got more that I'm cutting you off, Ben, please tell me. But um, what happened was um, he he himself, Rust Hines, died in a car crash um, uh, in 1939, like in the summer of 1939. And, you know, this thing, this really emerged in 1938. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he drove the car for a short time uh, before before his death. Um, he didn't die in the in this car. He died in another right. car. He was a, a car nut, so I and don't know exactly for, what he was doing. For people keeping track, this puts uh, his time of demise at the very young age of 25. I know. So, you know, this thing is his idea at 22. He dies at 25 years old. Um, just tragic, I mean, in, in all circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think this guy could have been a fantastic designer if he had lived, I mean, as far as oh, auto, yes. automobile, um, automobile design. Yeah. Um, I don't know what he had done for, you know, naval design at the time. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure what, you know, some of his uh, innovations were there, but I'm sure that there were some. Um, just based on this, what I'm seeing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, as far as like, you know, the, the legacy of the car, the car itself, um, let's see, he died, okay, again, he died in 1939, 25 right. years old. Um, he just wanted to launch it into small scale production. There never was a plan for large scale production. And in fact, it had been featured on the cover of a uh, magazine called Motor Age in 1938 in mm-hmm, March. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was kind of on its way. And of course, you know, then there's the, the movie that we mentioned a couple times. Yeah, it was promoted at the 1939 World Fair. Yeah. And uh, it, they took out ads in Esquire, which is where. Um, well-heeled car enthusiasts might be reading. Okay, so it's like the DuPont registry of today. Kind of, yeah. I mean, well, uh, the well, they similar. They wanted to uh, they wanted to get that demographic of people would actually buy it because we do need to mention in terms of price. Ah, this is where I've got my. This is where we were going, yeah. right? Okay, so as as you and I said before, um, small scale production. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're thinking somewhere between. Fourteen thousand seven hundred to fifteen thousand dollars per car, mm-hmm. but we know that in contrast, uh, the Ford Model T was uh, under five hundred. Yeah, yeah, it was like what was it four ninety five or three ninety five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the price the price variance here is amazing, but when you look at this car, I mean, obviously. I mean, of course, it starts with an incredible vehicle for a base vehicle, the, uh, right. the Cord 810. And then you take that off and you put on this special body, which makes it even more of a standout. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the instrumentation and all the advancements and everything that goes along with it. Um, the asking price of 14.7, I, is it worth it? I don't know. Because when you, when, here's the inflation calculator part. All right. Okay, so I, go went, for it. I went in there and I, uh, you know, I, we like to do this. And I didn't do it for the earlier number, the 24,000, but I did it for this. Uh, so in 1939, when they were pricing this vehicle, now they already had a brochure, you know, set up, and this is the price that they set for it. But um, it should be noted that that's also triple the price of a Cadillac V16 sedan of the same era. So a Cadillac V16 would cost, well, three times, well, this cost three times more than that Cadillac, mm-hmm. um, which, as you know, is an extremely sought-after collector car now. But uh, still, there were no orders for this thing at all, which I can't imagine. I don't. I don't know why there weren't any orders. Yeah, for this let's thing. emphasize that again. None. There were literally zero well, orders. The price may have had something to do with this because um, if you adjust the numbers, so 1939, 14,700 dollars is the same in 2012. I, I couldn't go to 2013. They don't make the calculator yet. <laughs> uh, but 20, uh, 2012, this the same 14,700 dollars is equal to. Two hundred and forty-three thousand four hundred and seventy-one dollars and thirteen cents. That's a pricey car. That is that is pricey. And you know what? What's interesting about that is if we look at that calculation, the kind of cars that cost around 
uh, two thousand to three, two hundred thousand to three hundred thousand yeah. today, yeah. are pretty much the small production cars that he was doing. So he was aiming at the right spot. It's just the question is: Was this car so far ahead of its time that it was also ahead of the market? Uh, you yeah. know, I, I think for what he had it slated for, what he had it planned for, I think it was right on the mark. I, yeah. I think that I think this thing could have taken off. I really think. I, I just. I, I wish so much that before all this had happened that there were some orders taken and there was some interest and then people would have said, you know what, this is worth taking a look at because the car eventually just kind of traded hands for a relatively cheap price. Yeah. Are you? Are we going to talk about um, the next – okay. I, I think I want to because I know where it lives now and I know kind of like yeah. – there's a little bit of history that goes along with that too, but it was auctioned and sold mm. and it was – do you know some of the lower-end prices? Because I, I don't have any of the, the dollar amounts that it was actually sold for, but I do know that it changed hands often, and I know whose yeah. hands it ended up in, well, second to last and last. Well, let's see. I've got um, – we know that it was in the Heinz family until 1942 okay. when some members of the family started driving it. Uh, and then the next thing I've got is in the 50s when it's sold to a comedian. Yes, I got that information. Right. Okay, so 42 is when uh, the, Heinz, the Heinz family owned it until 42. There's a there's a dark area here where I don't know what happened to it from 1942 to 1951. It seems as though somebody in who was still in the family was driving it. Okay. So they started using it. Oh, I would buy that. Okay, so this comedian, this uh, it's a radio, actually a radio television personality. Nice. Um, his name is uh, Herb Schreiner, and um, Herb Schreiner owned it. He was a uh, he was an investor. He was like he said a comedian, but he also um, invested in real estate and vintage automobiles. That kind of thing were his interests, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, was he, he from? He's from Indiana, I think, right? And, and he modified it, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, this is the thing. He he um he modified this thing, and you know he's of course he's got this big collection of cars. Mm. He just kind of does what he wants with them, and he decided he's going to modify it in some way. I don't know exactly what the modifications were, but it was definitely not stock original when it was returned after after oh what? Yeah, I think I've got one of the modifications. Sure. So one of the um. Now, of course, we're giving this car glowing, effusive reviews. It wasn't perfect, though. Um, price aside, it had some overheating, uh, rumor has it, because it had uh, small air intakes. And this was part of the exterior well, style. Those, those little tiny vents on the hood. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things uh, that uh, Herb changed uh, with Albrecht Gertz. Gertz, uh, BMW designer. Okay. Uh, he had the uh, air intake improved and redesigned the windshield. Okay, that, you know that's what? that's. I think I don't know what what else he did. Honestly, that seems like a uh, like a, a relatively reasonable modification to this thing. It yeah, wasn't like he, he didn't you know put large like a like a big fin on the back or anything like that. You know something crazy <laughs> or, or like, a like that. Air, uh, an air spray of him. You know, wailing on a what? What would he be playing? A, a, a trumpet? Or a uh, ukulele? Something a ukulele, maybe or something. No, he didn't do anything crazy like that. Then, so he he actually he did a little resto modding and he improved yep. it a bit. Okay, so anyway, see, so this this investor in real estate and vintage automobiles, and uh, the problem was that um, this guy died in 1970. Um, in fact, he died in a, a terrible. He died in a uh, in a crash. He and his wife oh. uh, they're killed in Delray Beach, Florida, in 1970. Uh, when they were driving a Studebaker Avante and the, the brakes failed. 
So uh, this is a bad ending to uh, Herb Schreiner's life. Um, but the collection, some of his collection, is still on display um, at the Auburn Court Duesenberg Museum in Auburn, Indiana. I've been to that a few times and seen oh, yeah. all the cars there. They're gorgeous cars. Love them. Um, so I guess I've seen these cars in person. I, don't, I didn't recognize the name Herb Schreiner. I wasn't looking for it. They were looking um, at cars. But I'm sure <laughs> that they've got the, uh, you know, those pointed out as, you know, who who owned them. Um now, he has a couple of kids, and uh, we'll get into the, the car went somewhere after 1970. We know where. Right. Um, he did. He does have a couple of kids. I just want to mention this because um, a couple of, well, at least two famous kids. Um, no one, he, has, he has three kids, um, uh, one daughter named Indy, named after Indianapolis, Indiana, mm-hmm. um, and he has twin sons. One is an actor, comedian, and director, Will Schreiner. Uh, who you may know, uh, who was named for uh, Will Rogers. And then there's a soap opera actor named Ken Schreiner, uh, was the other twin. And um, I think that's about it. That's uh, all I want to say about the kids. But um, the car itself, where it went after 1970, this this is another this twist. This is really cool. This is another twist in this thing. Do you have some info on it? Because I can, I can yeah, tell you if you want. Um, so William Hara, um, Hotel and Casino... Um, magnate, I guess is fair to say. Mm-hmm. He's certainly not hurting for money. Um, he's also a big car buff. Yeah. And so I'll tell you just that big in a minute. Okay. So, so he, he wants to get the Corsair and he wants to take it back to the original. For everybody who remembers our podcast on resto modding that we've done recently, uh, he's on the only original side. Yes. And he, he says, okay, I want to take this. I want to get the uh, windshield, the air intake, and the what have you back to its original state. Um, and that is – that's I don't want to spoil it. That's all I know. Full restoration of this thing. So, okay, he's, it's back to original condition. And if you don't know anything about William Fisk Hera, um, this this guy, now he died in 1978. And, of course, you know, the, the Hera's line of casinos, mm-hmm. hotels, uh, that's that's his legacy, I guess, you know, that he, he owned all this. Um, this is where the, the, uh, the car collection called the Hera Collection comes from. And it's on display at the National Automobile Museum in Reno, Nevada. Part of his display of his collection is on display, and I say part because uh, the collection includes 175 cars. Ben, whoa, that's part of his collection. So, get this: at the time of his death, now William William Fiskera, like we said, he liked to collect vintage automobiles, right? Right. In 1978, he left behind 1,400 automobiles in his collection. 1,400. He had 1,400. Automobiles in his collection now. A little bit of everything. Okay, I don't. I'm oh, not going to wow. say they're all classics. Sure. I don't know that for sure. I've seen photos. I've tried. You know, over the last few days, I've really tried looking at some some old photos of you know the original Harris Auto Collection when he was still alive. So pre 1978. Okay. Actually, we should say pre 1980 because in 1980, that's when Holiday Inn, um, Holiday Inn of you know the Holiday Inn chains, right. uh, purchased the Harris. Name, you know, the the, the, brand. the, the brand, I guess, yeah. along with the entire collection of automobiles, all 1,400 of them. And what they did was they decided that they were going to make some money on the collection and continue the, you know, because the, 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 the hotel chain and the casinos, they still exist. Right. Um, so they, they were successful in, in keeping that. Um, but the collection, they started to break up and they broke it up quick. So they auctioned almost every one of the cars except for these 175 that are left that they kept. And uh, that was sold off, you know, or, or or 
sent to this this Hera collection sure. in this museum. Yeah. Um, but they did sell they sold all the rest of them for a profit of about a hundred million dollars. No kidding. I, I know, but the, the 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 splitting up of that collection, what I I feel is a huge mistake. I mean, that had to have just encompassed everything, the, the entire evolution of the automobile, practically. That's, yeah. that's enormous. I, I think the only other, there's, there's another one that's like double that size somewhere out there. That's like the world's biggest collector. Right. But we've got a, I, I would love to, uh, Take a look at that, a closer look at that in a different podcast too, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, I would, I would love to see even the 175 cars, but then imagine, you know, um, 1400. Not, yeah, I mean, what eight times that? God. Uh, it's or am I am I off? Maybe it's ten? No, uh, nine times? Whatever. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> very good at math. You're so I'm, upset that you're I'm, not I'm, mathing. <laughs> but um, so the good news is that if you want to see the remaining part of the Hera collection, uh, including. Our boy, the uh, Phantom Corsair. Oh, yes. All you have to do is travel to the National Automobile Museum in, what is it, Scott, Reno? Reno, Nevada, yeah. Yeah. And uh, – Oh, I'd love to see that thing. Wouldn't you? I, I – okay. Here's, yeah. This is an odd little tangent here, but I may have been at a show where this thing was, and I just wasn't paying attention. Are you serious? Uh, Concours d'Elegance, which, you know, this thing, all, by the way, we should mention that this thing sometimes comes out of the museum and makes the Concours circuit. Yeah, every once in a while. It was at uh, the Goodwood Festival in 06. It's been at Pebble Beach um, and Amelia Island. Yeah, and it's been at Meadowbrook. It was yeah, at Meadowbrook okay. in, uh, in Michigan in 2001. Their, uh, their theme for that year was Streamlined Cars, I believe, mm. and it was there, and I was there. And I don't know if I, I – I can't place it. Like I can't remember that I saw it, but I, I, I was at the same place. And, and if I had known now or known then what I know now, I uh, definitely would have given it you know, a, a much thorough once-over, I guess. But um, it, like I said, it, it's definitely worthy of the Concours circuit, and it does get out there. So there's a chance to see it outside of Reno, but if you want for sure to see it, definitely make the trip. Oh man, that's just so, that's so crazy. You know what though, Scott? I don't blame you because being at a concourse has got to be sensory overload. Oh, it definitely is. Like, so I, it's not like that's the only car there. No, 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 no. Yeah. But you could find photos of, of that day or, you know, you know, that event Ooh. and, and see that it was definitely there. And that's what I did. I kind of looked it up and said, okay, I was there in 2001. It was there. We had to have crossed paths at some point because I saw everything there. But uh, I just don't recall it. You oh, know, specifically. man. I, I've got to do – uh, I've almost – I thought that I was finishing up everything I had to say. Mm-hmm. I really messed up, dude. I have one thing that I was supposed to say at the very beginning. Oh, what is that? It's the definition of Corsair. I thought, <laughs> I thought oh, it would be a nice man. word. All right. Okay. Well, let's just get it in there. So uh, a Corsair, for uh, those who are wondering what that word is, uh, it denotes a pirate, specifically a privateer operating along the southern coast of the Mediterranean in the 17th century. Okay, here's the naval uh, the naval part of this there thing, right? There we go, yeah. Okay, that's that's where it ties in. That's why he named it this. And that should have been at the beginning of the episode. I am so sorry. Naval architecture, <laughs> Corsair, it all ties in now. I get it. And, you know, you can buy a matchbook, a matchbox version of this car. Yes. And they're not rare. You can buy them on eBay for five bucks, or you can find them in, you know, a toy store probably still on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's even, you know, some larger scale models because people are in love with this car. When you when you take a look at it and you see some well done photographs of this thing, yeah, it's, it's entrancing. It's one of a kind. It's uh, it's really something that you know you'll uh, if you study it and you look at the look at the lines of it, you'll see what I mean by aqua dynamic and you know the uh, the naval influence in this thing. I think it's a beautiful car. 
That's, I mean, I can't say it better myself. That's pretty much all I've got for the Phantom Corsair, except that I, I would really like to hang out there. I don't need to drive it if you're listening in Reno, Nevada. I, can I just get a picture with it? I don't know. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. This summer, click into Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot and get after those outdoor projects with some serious cordless power from Ryobi. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. Leaves and debris are no match for the 40-volt power of the Ryobi leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Tidy up those flower beds and keep your walkways looking sharp with Ryobi's 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Yard work, done and done. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at your cordless power source, The Home Depot. Shop now at The Home Depot or homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. You got something? I do, Ben. I've got a uh, piece of listener mail here. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to go with the postcard first. Oh. We received. Now this is uh, being. You know, this is a bit delayed, but over the holidays, we received a uh, a postcard from a listener, which is kind of cool. This is really neat. And when I looked at it, uh, we both laughed out loud when we saw this thing. And oh it's, yeah, it's Casey funny. laughed too. It is a. It looks like a vintage photograph of uh, of Shriners in a in a in a formation on. Motorcycles, I guess, but they look like uh, like mopeds to me. Yeah, but finer, you know, Shriners in full, you know, parade dress, you know, with mm-hmm. the hats, the fezes, and everything. Um, very cool, you know. It's it's a neat 
postcard, really. And on the back, the only, the only caption, it says, what's up with that? In big capital letters. Huge letters, yeah. And it's really, this is a, um, it's 22 Shriners on motorcycles in squadron formation. Uh, the Tabala Motorcycle Group, or Motorcycle Corps, um, they're, they do precision maneuvers, that type of things at, um, you know, sh- shrine events and circus parades, you know, civic parades, things like that. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. I love it when you get stuff like this in the mail. This is so yeah. unusual and strange. It came from um, uh, Shanti Deva, I think is how you say it, in Austin, Texas. So, Shanti, thank you very much. I thank appreciate you so the, much. Uh, this, I promise this will be tacked up on our uh, on our, our office wall here. Our and, wall uh, of fame. Yeah, exactly. I, I promise you that because this is a really uh, funny photo. So, we like getting stuff like that. If you guys ever, you know feel like you want to please send something like that along yeah and uh, just to prove the point i'm going to go ahead and write down precision cycling uh <laughs> and shriners for a possible podcast name. oh yes and we can't forget the little uh, go-karts yes Love we can't shriner vehicles are really cool you know what let's just make a shriner vehicle Shriner vehicles, um, yeah. all right so we're going to head out we hope you guys have enjoyed our podcast on the phantom corsair Please let us know if you've seen it in real life. Uh, if you're what, if you're that guy who got to drive it, oh, did you see that clip? That is so. That, that is such a lucky guy. I mean, just at the right place, right time. That's <laughs> I'm, what it is. I'm sure you he worked for it. it you know, it, that's what it comes up down to, really. But let us know uh, not just your take on the Phantom Corsair, but if you have any other historically unique vehicles that you would like to hear about, or heck, just drop a line to say hello. You know. There's no pressure. Uh, you can uh, find us at Facebook. You can drop us a line on Twitter, or you can send us an email directly at carstuff at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day Savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done.